Dearly beloved, we've gathered here today to do a podcast about Prince. Oh, God bless. Specifically, we are covering his seminal 1984 masterpiece of a film, Purple Rain. And you would think that the Gen Xer would do most of the talking, but I'm actually going to insist that Samuel do most of the talking for this podcast because he has the most interesting perspective on this. Of course, I was in high school when Purple Rain came out. It's a big deal for my generation. I was literally in the upper Midwest and spending weekends visiting the Twin Cities. So Prince is a huge deal to me, uh, my brother, my sister, my generation. But Samuel's the one who saw him in concert in London and fascinatingly has a whole bunch of his music and yet had never seen the movie Purple Rain until last night. So I want to know, do you actually have to watch Purple Rain? Because the album is certainly in our cultural canon, right? It's one of those top 100 Rolling Stone albums that you have to own. Yeah, albums do you, before you die. That's yeah, what you have to have that in your collection. But do you actually, in 2018, have to watch the movie? I don't think so at all. I think the movie is a wonderful companion piece to the album, but that album stands alone by itself. I've understood it and appreciated it on my own for years now. I don't need this film, the context of the film, to appreciate it any more than I already do, or the narrative arc that I already see in Purple Rain as an album. I think the movie feels almost like the product of two different worlds. It feels like they wanted to make an hour and a half MTV music video concert thing. And they also then stick in this almost Dawson's Creek-esque subplot about, you know, his abusive father and his troubles with his girl, Apollonia. And I think it's an important movie for our culture, but I don't think it's essential. It's certainly not essential to understanding Prince and his music. It's certainly not essential to understanding Purple Rain as an album. I think it's a companion piece, but it's not vital. It's not, we were talking recently about Rattle and Hum being vital to the Joshua Tree and being basically, you know, two halves of the same album. Which most people would say about Purple Rain the album and Purple Rain the movie. So you're going to have to defend what you just said. Sure. And perhaps no a whole lot of moms have turned off the podcast now. Because... I'm not dissing Purple Rain as a film. It's just not... I don't think it really hangs together as a as a movie as much as you might want it to. Well, hold on. So we'll get to that. Uh, but I think it's interesting. So we're now two years out from his death. And, you know, I have continued to follow his career. I mean, I'm one of the few people you know who actually watched the sequel to Purple Rain, Graffiti Bridge, and I listen to that album all the time. And it kind of bugs me when some of these giants in our culture pass on now. And what I see on Facebook is a whole bunch of, uh, you know, sad faces and clips from something very early in their career. I mean, something landmark, no doubt. But like when Prince died... A whole bunch of my high school classmates were posting things from Purple Rain, right? The songs or the movie. And I'm like, yeah, but you know what? He was doing really good music right up until the end. And I think very few people were paying attention to the good stuff he was doing, say, in the last decade of his life. So that doesn't take away from Purple Rain, but it just kind of irks me. They're like, okay, but you know what? That was in 1984. 
And these artists like Tom Petty and Prince, you know, they're still doing great stuff. And where are you, where, you know, are you supporting them in what they're doing in their 40s and their 50s? And, and you know, yeah. if they live long enough, their 60s. So on some level, like Purple Rain kind of drags against his artistry, I think. So, but we have to talk about why we think people should keep listening to him. Because Purple Rain was such a big deal, right? So Michael Jackson had had his gigantic success uh, with Thriller. And then the next thing that comes along and is huge is Purple Rain. And the stuff that we see in the movie, you know, we didn't see that in other movies. There were a lot of kind of rock and roll movies at the time, like Flashdance had come out. Footloose was right around the same time. But nobody is showing, you know, really R-rated stuff. It was a shock to the system, right? It did have an impact at the moment. So if we're going to say in this podcast decades later that, meh, you know, you probably don't have to watch Purple Rain, I think we need to talk about that in relation to what he did later. So, like, I'd love to have you talk about what was it like to see him in concert in, what year was that? God, that would have been... Oh, God, 06, 07? Okay. God. And you saw him in London, though. I mean, yeah, tell, he was tell doing a thirty-day residency at the O2. For those of you who don't know, the O2 is this gigantic arena in London that they made for uh, the, basically the, the turn of the millennium. Um, it was kind of tied into their year two thousand celebrations, and it still stands. Obviously, I didn't demolish it or take it down. It's this giant arena for them to do music and sporting events and all kinds of international sort of events. You know, London very much at the time already becoming kind of the, the capital of, of Europe in a way, the capital of the world in many ways. Prince was uh, convinced to do a 30-day residency at the mm. O2. They thought they could sell out the O2 for 30 days straight. To my knowledge, they did. You know, it, it became a landmark event to come and see. He famously had a lot of requests for the hotel that he was staying at in London. I remember reading the British tabloids at the time that were saying that, you know, he demanded to have two female twin staffers on hand at all times <laughs> while he was there. And an M&M machine full of purple M&Ms. Like, I don't know if any of these were ever confirmed, but you know what? I like hearing about it because it adds to the mystique. But seeing him there and really getting a chance to see him basically in his element, you know, with these thousands of people just losing their mind to the opportunity to see Prince, to have him come across the water and stay there for a significant length of time and just play his music. This was not that period where he was like, I'm not going to play any of my older music. This was, you know, he was still, he knew that people really had come to hear Purple Rain and stuff like that. So, How long was the concert? Well, the concert itself was probably maybe about an hour and a half, an hour 45, mm. but he did three encores. <laughs> nice. And, like... How deep did he go in the catalog? I, I don't remember, because I also didn't have as much of an appreciation for Prince's music at the time. Uh. I really didn't. I'm really lucky that my 15-year-old self had enough wherewithal to take my Aunt Ruth, shout-outs to Aunt Ruth, Woo! up on her offer to go see Prince. Yeah. Because I really just knew kind of the very biggest stuff... Hadn't really explored the catalog. Um, and but the Jay-Z I, album isn't out at that point, right? No. So there's when does a, that come out? I don't know when that comes out, but I only discover that once I get into Jay-Z and I'm into Prince already. So that's like a long time in the future. That's okay. like, what, 
2014, 2015. But so well, I have to. Uh, okay, so now I have to explain what you mean by the Jay Z album. Yeah. There, after the uh, Jay Z's album, the Black Album came out. He actually deliberately, you know, with permission of his his music publishers, like he told them he was going to do this. He released an acapella version of the Black Album, where all of the surrounding instrumentals were stripped out, and it was just his vocals. And he deliberately said. Folks, go out there, take this stuff, mash it up, do cool stuff with it. We love the mashup culture. Yeah, so there was an album called the Black and White Album, which put him over the Beatles' White Album. Yeah. There, there have been all kinds of mashups. Well, they that did one with Weezer, right? There's a whole... Yeah, there's the Black and Blue Album, with which Weezer. is him over the um, yeah. Weezer Blue Album, which... I mean, all of these are experiments. Some of them have good tracks, some of them have bad tracks. You know, they're, they're not perfect, any one of them, but there is an amazing mashup that I love of one of the tracks off of Purple Rain and it, well they did the purple and black album the the uh which actually had cover art drawn for it I don't know who made the mashup but he must have gotten a cover artist to do something and it's Jay-Z riding the purple motorcycle nice that um <laughs> Prince rode and there's just an amazing mashup of what more can I say uh with uh Prince and it's awesome it sounds like it sounds like it could be both a Jay-Z or a Prince track. It's yeah. an amazing mashup. The whole rest of that album is totally hit or miss, but that song... Well, so this is an interesting question. So there are a lot of people in my generation, parents, moms, you know, who like the presentation of hip-hop through the Hamilton play, musical. Is this an entry point? If, if somebody no. was in no, high no, school... No, 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 no. The, the, the quality bar of the, of the Purple and Black album is not high enough. Okay. I also think it's probably a little rougher. I mean, it's definitely... Oh, my God. It's definitely rougher yeah, than Hamilton. Yeah, look, look, Ham... Ugh. Don't get sidetracked by Hamilton. I'm just wondering if people who like Purple Rain... No. ...in 84 would like nope. the Purple Album. That's I have the Purple Album. I like it, but, you know, I'm help. I'm deeper into hip-hop than most people. Yeah, that's not going to help. That's not going to help. Um, okay, all right, just checking. Just but, checking. All right, so, so Samuel has... So, yeah, I got has, to see him live. Samuel got to see him live. He, he's up on the Jay-Z collaboration. But what was... Oh, so, so there's one other thing I remember about the, the, o, the O2 experience was that, uh, again, Prince has never been shy or above talking about or, or playing things or... or doing things about other musical artists that impress him. You know, yeah. there's that very famous performance of him covering Radiohead's Creep at, like, Coachella or something, yeah. which yeah. is just nuts, because you're like, Prince listens to Radiohead? Like, there's almost <laughs> no Venn diagram where I would well, think Prince, Radiohead, but there he is, up on the main stage of Coachella, going, I'm a creep, and you're like, oh my god, Prince! Hey, you, so when he passed, and suddenly, you know, all these bootleg things flooded YouTube, you can see him playing... With uh, Cheryl Crow. Yeah. Uh, Every Day is a Winding Road, yeah. right? That's really nice. Him um, and Kravitz. Which him is and really Kravitz cool. doing uh, American. I mean, you can see that Venn diagram, but it is cool to see. It, it is very cool. You can see that. Um, of course, you can see the Venn diagram, which is almost one for one of him doing, uh, you know, kind of the Hendrix version of uh, Red Door, yeah. right? Um, so, the, but I remember when the second encore ended. Yeah. And the lights kind of came back up and people were still screaming Prince, 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 Prince. And he made us wait for like 15 minutes. Wow. Like he was really trying to weed out, okay, who really wants me here? Like for the third <laughs> encore. Yeah. Like, you know, first encore, pretty standard. Second encore, he makes us wait for maybe five, ten minutes. But the lights never come up. So yeah. we're like, oh, whatever, we're still going. Yeah. And then third, I mean, he brings up the lights. You got to wait. You know, you want oh. the third encore? 
And I, like, there was something amazing about it. He comes back through the doors. He's surrounded by his entourage, his band. And you can see him returning to the stage because they didn't bring the lights back down. He's just walking back up because the O2 is a big circle. He's got to get to the center again. Yeah. And he's playing over the big speakers, Gnarls Barkley's Crazy. I remember oh, when. Nice. Yeah. I remember. I remember when I lost my mind. And I was just nice. like, that's not even his song. And like, he's owning it. Like, yeah. that's he's got the shades on and everything. And you're like, oh man, he is crazy. Like, you know, he's so coming he out play? for the third encore. What's the third encore? I don't remember what the third? I don't remember what the track list oh. is. We probably could have looked it up before we started this thing. Oh, yeah. I'll look it up. There's while a great you... Prince Wikipedia, by the way. Yeah. If you guys want to track some of this stuff. If you want to, if you're just feeling nostalgic now that he's gone, uh, check it out, right? Just Google Prince Wikipedia, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. He's got his own little wiki, um, and they really are really good about cataloging even some of the weirder songs of his, the B-sides, the really obscure stuff. I mean, they're there. They know what's up. And really, we're just doing this podcast because we're waiting for the vault. We're oh, still God. waiting for what comes I'm out of the vault. I'm such a moron. Okay. What? So in my memory for years, I always just assumed he had opened opened the show with Let's Go Crazy, but I'm an idiot. That was the end of the third encore, which is yeah. perfect. Sure. God, what a monster. Okay, so here's What's the set he list. open with? So he opens with 3121, Girls and Boys. How do you know this is your exact concert? Dude, I'm pretty sure he played probably the same set list okay. or something consistently about it. Also, the timeline matches up August 18th, 2007. Okay. That's about when I'm there. All right. So, wow, the internets are awesome. Girls and Boys, 1999, Peach, Rock Me Baby, B.B. King cover. So that was probably different probably on my night. I don't remember a B.B. King cover. Yeah. Shh. And then Cream, You nice. Got the Look. And then the end of the first set is Musicology. So that's a pretty short list, actually. Yeah, yeah. For first, that first set. If you left before the first encore, you missed like an hour, almost two hours of music. Wow. So, so here's the first encore. This is awesome. Yeah, and so then it's Sign of the Times, oh. Party Man, Alphabet Street, DMSMR, Erotic Girl, Nasty Girl, When Doves Cry, Head, Pop Life, Raspberry Beret. And then the question is, is this, I think this is the second encore, is now Sexy Dancer, Le Freak, I would have remembered if he, he played does Le Freak. Le Freak. I would have remembered if he played Le Freak. So that's not for my show. Did not do Le Freak for my show. I feel for you. Controversy. Yeah, I would have remembered if he played What a Wonderful World. So this is not my exact one, but he's this is the stuff he's doing. Okay. Then yeah. he ends the second encore with Purple Rain. So the lights go up after Purple Rain. You're like, okay, and that's you're like, it. that's it, sure. And then encore is, and I think this is right. I think this lines up with the show that I saw last. The 26th song that he plays is Kiss, and then 27 is Let's, Let's go, go Crazy. crazy. And those are his two biggest so hits, crazy. two of his biggest hits, Kiss and Let's Go Crazy. Yeah, so. Okay, so. We, we talk about that to set up. I, I'm just, again, fascinated that Samuel has gradually learned the music. He uh, was able to enjoy a new iteration of the music through the Jay-Z album. He saw Prince live, which is a pretty rare thing to be able to say at this point. And yet he hadn't seen what started all this mythology, right? He knew the Prince mythology, but he had never seen the movie Purple Rain, which is really what sets it in stone. And and I want him now to go back to last night where we're watching the movie. I saw Purple Rain again for the first time in a long time right after he died. Uh, there was a showing uh, at Kenyon College where I work. Shout out to Kenyon. And to see it in 2016 after having not seen it for, I don't know, 20 years, 
And I was like amazed at how little he speaks, at how rough the movie is, about how really loose uh, the plot is, and how it really looks like they're just making some scenes up, right? There's some stuff with Morris Day that you're like, wow, I think they just sort of said, hey, say something about this, and they let the cameras roll. But seeing it again last night, I, I had a little more favorable view, but really I want Samuel to talk about, does this match the mythology that he has learned over the years on the back end of Prince's career? Not really. I mean, for me, it, it feels very, um, a lot of the scenes feel pretty pedestrian. You know, they feel very, like this could be any 80s teen Battle of the Bands movie. And that's like, <laughs> I don't, hey, I'm did, not interested in Prince did, coming back to his dad's two-story in Minneapolis, uh, in the suburbs. I'm interested in him emerging from beneath the waters of Lake Minnetonka, you know? I want the bunker, you know, the Prince Cave to open up, and there he's riding yeah. on the motorcycle. When like, he shows up on the motorcycle in his concert gear to that little two-story in, in, like, the it's Burbs... It's so lame. It's, it's really It's really weird. lame. Like, I don't like... Like, the intro to the movie, Two Let's Go Crazy, is basically... Like, I thought that was what we were going to get, which yeah. is him, like, riding his motorcycle, like, and the people are parting for him, like, the Red Sea. Yeah. He's got his guitar strapped to his back. Like, it is, the imagery is amazing. And then he goes back to this this stupid little suburb thing. And Well, and that imagery, they, they can't decide, right? They, they're making a great music video, but then they're trying to put a plot to it. So, on the one hand, you've got people, like, seeing him in awe. He clearly doesn't look like, you know, other people hanging out in First Avenue, the famous no. club. And yet... He doesn't the, even look like his bandmates. Right, and yet the promoter has to tell him, well, you're almost washed up, and nobody cares about your music, except people clearly do care, you know? Yeah, people the, are <laughs> losing their minds. Like, <laughs> the, the story and plot and the dialogue, all this stuff, it doesn't really hang together in any no, kind of way. It's no. not... It just feels kind of goofy. It's not funny or really sad hey, or really even anything. Hey, their version of who's on first... Jerome and Morris. That was awesome humor. Whatever. It's it's <laughs> Jerome is is probably the best character in yeah. the film. I mean, obviously Prince is who you came to see, but Jerome actually has like stuff to do and people to talk to and, and He seems organic. He seems organic. He feels like a natural extension of Morris Day's music and Morris Day's, you know opinion of himself and it's great that he has this little toady around to carry a, <laughs> to drive him everywhere and give him money and hold up a mirror to his face and yeah, like yeah. he feels really organic he feels fun uh he also feels consistent the promoter character isn't a consistent character anyway yeah. he's like you know at one point they're talking about oh the kid is in rare form it's also weird for me to them consistently just refer to him as the kid why? Not Why is that weird? Because he's Prince. <laughs> it's true. So that's he's the... clearly Prince. <laughs> if it's going to be supposed to be anyone else, like maybe if he's like Prince as this weird, you know, he's not like um, David Bowie playing a character. It's just Prince, right? So that's the There's problem. No... The problem is this movie it's not Stardust. <laughs> this movie presents what is supposed to be like his origin story, except that he's already clearly Prince, right? From the very first minute the movie starts which is Let's Go Crazy, he's Prince. It's like you can't tell the Batman origin story where 
at the same time that he's like a kid in the cave, then the kid goes out and dresses as Batman already. You know, it's 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 they've mashed it together. Yeah, they the want timing both. Is wrong. They want like this weird battle of the bands, eighties, let's save the gymnasium sort of narrative. <laughs> and they also want to be like, yo, here's Prince and he's gonna melt your face off. And it's right, like right. I'd much rather have like an hour and a half of Prince melting my face off. Which, like, by the way, is the movie Sign of the Times. So in between the two movies that are supposed to be roughly autobiographical, right? In between Purple Rain and Graffiti Bridge, which is like, what, 91, 92? He does a movie that's released into the theaters called Sign of the Times, which is basically a concert movie. I saw it in the theater with my roommates, uh, Carl Rosen, shout out to Carl, and John So Bible, shout out to John, although he is not on the internet webs whatsoever. And it was awesome to see that on the big screen where he melts your face off and there's just a little tiny bit of story. It's almost like watching a musical because it's all staged in on one stage. But in between the songs, there are little bits of story. And so in terms of the balance between story and melt your face concert footage, it feels right. Whereas Purple Rain, now that I go back and watch it, they're trying too hard on the story except they don't have the chops to do the story. They're only three professional actors in Purple Rain, right? Yeah. It's the promoter, who was always just a bit character in other movies. His dad, who who was recognizable to me even at the time. Uh, he had some better stuff. I think he was actually on a... He was a regular on a TV show in the 70s. Like, I, I wouldn't uh, know. Emergency or... He did fine with what he was given, but he wasn't given much. He was not given very much. And then Apollonia is actually, she had already had some She's credits. She's an actress. She's yeah. an actress. So those are your three professional actors. And the rest of it is just sort of like what you would see on YouTube now, right? If, if a band were trying to tell its origin story in 2018 and had just their own handheld yeah. camera, you'd get something like Purple Rain. Well, yeah. I mean, it's... It's... It, just doesn't feel like the story is telling you anything that you couldn't get from a hundred other movies. Or from his music itself. Or from his music itself. And I think it's redundant. I understand that in terms of what it's presenting, in terms of imagery, it might have been groundbreaking at the time. But, I mean, really, you can't point to Purple Rain and say, oh, this is the first place where, you know, you're seeing this kind of sexual imagery it's like mtv was already becoming really raunchy like you know this stuff is our the culture shift is happening he's a part of it but you can't point to purple rain and tell me that he's responsible for it that well, would be that would be too much here here's the only uh twist on that so mtv was still pretty clean in that you know duran duran isn't showing you this stuff except for you know they had early cuts like girls on film but those were heavily edited for MTV to not upset the suburban folk. And you had, you know, Michael Jackson. His stuff is pretty clean. There was some concern about Thriller, right? You know, like, ooh, zombies and face makeup. Is that too dark for the kids? I know, I know. But it, you know, but we know that out there, just beyond MTV, is stuff like Rick James, right? Yeah. So, so Prince is kind of the guy who brings some of that Rick James stuff to the suburbs through MTV. And so there was stuff that was kind of scandalous. I mean, nobody had really shown on film the humping of a giant speaker. Okay, that was a little That's different. That's true. Okay, so my favorite scene in this movie. <laughs> like, I am sounding really down on it. Let me tell you. My favorite scene in this movie is when Prince 
has incredibly passionate sex with a speaker, basically. <laughs> so he's doing Darling Nikki, and it's awesome. Like, it's so cool. The whole stage is lit up in red, and he's just doing this as a call-out to Apollonia because she's left him for Morris. And he is, like... He's being nasty, he's being petty, he's being jealous, and he's like crawling and writhing on top of this speaker tower. And he's like, come back, Nikki, come back! And he's just like... If you don't love me, then I have my music. I will love the speakers that are emitting my music. And it's just like, it's like borderline violent. He's just like shaking yes. and writhing on top yes. of it. Like So the question is, is the rest of the movie worth seeing that? I agree, that's awesome, and that's a landmark moment. I'm not sure the rest of the movie is no, worth No, post Darling and Nikki to your Facebook, tag it with Not Safe for Work, and then you're good. Like, that's it. <laughs> also, do tag it with Not Safe for Work, because even if you're not seeing much, you know, anything below the belt, it's so on fire. It's yeah, unbelievable. He's on fire. I will say that the movie does conclude with Prince uh, basically shooting a lot of liquid out of a white guitar. Which I do find, you know, funny in like a juvenile Beavis and Butthead kind of way. <laughs> but like, I feel like there must be another edit of this movie that is basically just the music. And I bet you it's a pretty good concert I, film. Dude, I'm telling you, it's Sign of the Times. We have to watch Sign of the Times. And then we have to watch Graffiti Bridge. Then we have yes. to watch Unto the Year 2000 or whatever his oh, next couple of I stuff is. I am not watching Under the Cherry Moon or whatever that was. That's, <laughs> I never saw that. It's supposed to be awful. It's funny how after Purple Rain, the album and the movie were such a success. I mean, they really drove hard to keep that going, right? It, both of those were blockbuster commercial successes, and they really pushed hard. And I think after many years, that's what leads to Prince and Warner Brothers having that fight where he changes his name. You know, I mean, it, the, the 10 years after Purple Rain have some great music in his catalog, but yeah, the visual stuff, like the movie that I keep recommending, Sign of the Times, is not a commercial success. It is a failure. People do not go and watch it, except it's how you see Prince in concert. It's yeah. a great movie. So, I'm not sure there is a Prince movie that you need to see other than Sign of the Times. The music stands. How about, uh, let's end with maybe your favorite uh, top two songs off of the purple rain album or or oh, really should we just say you know what it's the whole album you gotta I mean, have the whole it's, album it's the whole i mean i, I think you have to have the whole album you have to watch the whole you have to have the whole album you have to have the whole album the whole thing is look even these top 10 perfect you know rolling stone 500 album things have you know a weak track or two i love american idiot but i'm not listening to the waiting every day i'm not oh, it's yeah. not it's not a great track like but you wouldn't cut what one track would you cut off of Purple? Oh, no, I can't do that. Really? No, no I'm not doing that. You're okay. crazy. Because <laughs> um, even though I'm not going to listen to The Waiting, off, I keep going back to American Idiot, even if I'm not going to listen to, say, Computer Blue every day. I love Computer oh, Blue. love Computer Blue. But it's also not an everyday track. But like that doesn't make it bad. I'm not going to cut it. Like That's, that's crazy. I, I think... I, I might lose my... Uh... I can tell you the one that like most affects me... <laughs> personally but like it's it, we're in complete you know opinion bring your background bring your personal stuff to the table here yeah, yeah. and it's it's right now it's probably always going to be um oh god i mean i baby i'm a star has been what we i try and that. think of in my own head when yeah. i need it um i have driven to places powered by that yep 
And, uh, you know, right now, at this moment, Year of Our Lord 2018, the title track of Purple Rain means a lot to me. Oh, um, that's the one I would cut. And there it is. I completely lose my Gen X yeah, dude, application why card. Why would you say that on record? <laughs> what the hell, dude? Of all of those songs, I, I just find it its dragging. It's insufferable. It, it sort of reminds me of the ABC After School special plot line of the movie. And I know that... He's a genius, yeah, you're and nuts. you're gonna get the hell beat out. I'm gonna get the hell beat out. You're gonna, gonna, gonna out walk of out of this me. apartment, and there's just gonna be a squad of people who are dressed in I I can't I, eyeliner rain. and no, heels and pumps and I never need to hear the song Purple Rain again. See, that, this is what something my father and I keep talking about is a lot of these songs that I appreciate because I I didn't grow up with them. <laughs> they were beaten to they death beaten on to the death radio. By terrestrial radio. Yes. Back so in like the my day. my father can't listen to like whole sections of the police's synchronicity, but I yeah. Yeah. you know, uh, there nothing on there bothers me or feels overplayed because I wasn't around when it was first being played. Boy, the summer of 1984 and 1985, it it was like everything was either purple rain or they rushed a whole bunch of music that sounded just like it. So, I mean, it was the Minneapolis sound, but God, every single song on the top 40 sounded like Purple Rain. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it just was, it was terrible. I've been able to resurrect and enjoy a lot of the album uh, in the years since, but it took a while to come back to it for me, actually. Well, I mean, my, my favorite Prince songs and my favorite Prince songs off certain albums changes, you know, every day, so... What is it today, Samuel? You can tell us. It's 200 balloons, baby. <laughs> what? Yeah, okay, what so, is 200 balloons, Samuel? Okay, so back in 1989 when Tim Burton, that hack, was making his 1989 Batman film, he already knew he was going to get prints for the soundtrack. So he's like, I got this scene where Jack Nicholson as the Joker is going to go parading up and down the street. There's going to be balloons. It's going to be a party. It's going to be a parade. And something I want for the music, like kind of what I'm going for here is um oh god what did he what was the temp track he used i think it was you got the look or something yeah and he's just like but of course you know write new music for it this is just kind of the direction i'd like you to take it and prince wrote him this awesome five minute monster of a track called 200 balloons that is funny it's ass kicking it's funky my funk is multi-layered he says at one point (laughs) and with a complete like there's not a hint of irony in his voice he's just like no my funk is multi-layered. Because and, it is. Yeah, and at one point in the song, he just says, I need a warehouse full of protection. Like, Whoa! He, like, he's in full, like, you can't contain him mode. And Tim Burton's like, no, not really what I'm going for. And instead they put in Party Man. Like, Party Man is not as good of a song as 200 Balloons. It's just not. But the good news is you can buy it now on iTunes. It, oh, thank God. It, it was released as part of his gigantic uh, you know, Hits and B-Sides uh, album. So there you have it. We are upsetting people by saying you don't need to watch the movie Purple Rain. But we're giving you the track 200 Balloons. Go download 200 Balloons, do yourself a favor, and get a warehouse full of protection. <laughs> I am Bentley. And I'm Samuel. And this has been the Review Podcast. Podcast. Woo!